welcome on conversations with green change makers in Japan. I'm Helen, the founder of Modane Transition, and I will be your host on this podcast. The goal of this discussion is to bring along passionate individuals to talk about various topics around ecology and well-being in Japan. This episode is a collaboration between Botanical Transition, Fab Cafe Tokyo, and Global Goals Jam Tokyo. Today, I'm welcoming John Walsh. John is a New Zealander who has been living in Japan for almost 20 years. He's an urban farming instructor and consultant based in Tokyo. Since 2012, he has taught nearly 1,000 people, including individuals, families, students, and working professionals, how to grow healthy urban food, to improve their health, support the environment, and reconnect with nature. I'm now leaving you with our guests. Enjoy the discussion! Before we move on to the topic of uh, urban farming, I think it's important for us to to understand, you know, how you became aware of the climate change issue and when you properly started your uh, ecological transition. Uh, 10 or 15 years ago, but I was sort of, um, really, really looking for something that I could do to actually make an impact. And I just wasn't finding it at all. I was thinking about um, um, getting it in, into maybe um, green office um, and projects to help um, companies to... Uh, to develop um, greener practices, that kind of thing. But nothing really sort of caught my imagination until the earthquake um, in uh, Tohoku and um, basically sort of nine years ago now. And um, that basically changed everything. Uh, before that earthquake, um, uh, March uh, 2011, I hadn't grown a single plant um, except one um, fern, but no food. And um, and when that quake happened, um, that basically it just changed everything here in Japan. And kind of coincidentally, um, that happened two weeks after a killer quake hit Christchurch in in uh, New Zealand, where I'm from. And I think those two quakes may have been connected, and maybe not. I'm not quite sure. But those two quakes basically they sort of really made me think that um, life can change just like that. And I and when I was um, watching the Um, images coming in through the TV of what was happening up in Tohoku and seeing some towns that had looked they had just been completely wiped off the map. I thought that kind of thing could happen here in Tokyo um, anytime, like maybe even today. And I just thought, right, if a massive quake did hit Tohoku today or tomorrow, um, what would my plan be to hopefully survive it? And I didn't have one. I just didn't have one at all. So I thought that's not that's that's pretty bad news. And it was pretty scary. So I just thought, right, um, what can I do about it? And I thought that, right, um, if there's a massive quake, then um, and food supplies are, are going to be cut off. Um, uh, trucks that bring in um, food from the countryside are probably not going to be able to come into the supermarkets. And people would basically run out of food. So I thought, right, where would food come from? And I thought, okay, the only way to get around that is to grow it myself. And that was the start. So... Can you tell us a little bit more, like what exactly is urban farming compared to, let's say, more traditional farming? Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. Um, traditional farming, um, I'm hoping to most people, is basically um, farmers in the countryside and uh, with livestock and possibly growing food too. Um, and um, the farmers, um, those particular farmers, they basically supply food to most people in uh, most countries. Urban farming, by contrast, is typically growing food. Uh, not raising livestock, and it's usually done in urban areas 
Um, one of the main differences is that um, when you grow food in uh, cities like Tokyo, you have to deal with um, shade because of the tall buildings. When you're growing food in the countryside, there's usually no issues with shade. So we, um, so when you're growing food um, in cities like Tokyo, you've got to basically get creative about how to maximize uh, sun exposure on your food so that it'll grow. Um, and that's a challenge, and it's a good one. And it sort of forces people to get to get creative. So um, urban farming is basically it's um, it's largely growing um, vegetables and herbs and fruit too, maybe in urban spaces. Can you tell us a bit more about the work that you do with the different people you are involved with, and how uh, you put into practice these strategies you you mentioned? Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. Um, it all kicked off when I um, um, and when the earthquake happened nine years ago. My daughter was three. And I, um, I took her to my, uh, my local uh, community garden, which is really close to my family house here in North Tokyo. And I taught her how to uh, sow seeds. And she picked it up in like one minute. So I thought, hey, I could, I've just taught a kid how to grow food. And then I thought, well, maybe I could teach other kids. But at that point, I had had zero formal teaching experience with anything, uh, not even English. So I basically got in touch with a local, with a... Um, international school where I knew the I'm the founder and basically said um, uh, um do you grow food and he said no but we're kind of interested um so would you like to come in so I went in and by that stage I had been growing food in a local community garden uh, right through summer you know, of 2012 and I had, had been taking lots of photos of it and I basically went into the school and I covered their photo uh, covered their table with a whole lot of uh, photos of the food I had grown. And they basically said, um, can you teach our kids? And I was like, wow. Um, my um, offer to the school was just to uh, set up 10 planter boxes for free and grow food. Um, but they asked me to teach. And um, that was a bit of a challenge because I've had a speech problem for most of my life. And And like I said before, I, I've had zero uh, formal teaching experience and both of, of those factors combined, not exactly conducive to, to public speaking, but I thought, hey, this is a great challenge. Go for it. So I did. So I basically uh, created uh, 10 urban farming lessons in three months, nearly killed myself doing it, and started teaching them. And um, that was the start. Uh, that was 2012. By 2017 or so, I had taught about 600 school students and got into teaching um, adults, um, especially at uh, Tokyo American Club, teaching people in parks, teaching people at their homes. Um, I run a course at the um, New Zealand Embassy, teaching their staff how to grow food. And I'm also getting into installing uh, gardens as well, as um, side by side with my teaching. So I've, um, with my business partner, um, Grant Munro, um, we installed a outside garden at the Grand Hyatt Hotel in Tokyo uh, two years ago. That was probably the first organic vegetable garden at a hotel in Tokyo. And I've um, just finished a project at Montessori School in Tokyo where I was installing a rooftop garden for the kids and working with the kids. And I've basically set up gardens at, at three different schools and a hotel and the kindergarten. And it's all going it's all going really well. It's all going really, really well. The sky's the limit. <laughs> and so how do you think urban farming can have a positive impact on the environment? It's all good. It's all good right from start to finish. Um, when you grow food without chemicals um, in the city, you basically cut down your food miles. 
because you don't have to rely on, on food being trucked in from the countryside. Having local food grown healthily, um, if it's on your uh, balcony outside or your rooftop or at work, you don't have to go far to get it, uh, which boosts your self-sufficiency just in case there's a big earthquake or some other kind of disaster. Um, also, there's a lot of allergies among school kids these days. Uh, can't eat lots of different kinds of food, drink milk, yogurt, cheese, whatever. And a lot of those um, allergies come from um, from um, chemicals that are used to grow food, commercially produced food. So there's a really big benefit when you grow your own food without using chemicals. You can actually noticeably reduce the intake of um, chemicals. And we're talking chemicals like these ones here, artificial um, fertilizers, insecticides and pesticides, which regularly get sprayed on commercially produced food, like these tomatoes. Um, these are from a local supermarket tonight. 200 yen, they've been poisoned with sprays. As opposed to if you grow your own from a little tomato plant like this and you don't use chemicals, then um, by default, the, um, the, the tomatoes that this particular plant grows is only going to be much healthier. Um, this tomato plant, just for interest, uh, it costs 180 yen. This packet of tomatoes is about 12 t tomatoes in here, costs 200 yen. And when I eat these, there'll be a, a plastic container to, to throw away. This tomato plant, if it's planted in the ground, it'll be two meters high in two months' time, and it will produce approximately 150, possibly 200 tomatoes from this one tiny plant. That costs less than this. Um, I normally grow eight tomato plants each spring, which produces um, up to 1,800 tomatoes. Um, my top account was 2,000 tomatoes one summer, about three years ago from eight plants just like this. Yeah, so that's good. And also, when you grow food without chemicals, you're not spraying chemicals into the soil or onto your plants, which has a really good effect on the on soil health and uh, general environmental health too. So yeah, there's basically um, three key benefits. There's um, personal health from not using chemicals, environmental health from not using chemicals again, and also um, um, self-sufficiency too. And in a country like Japan, where we have quakes every single day, we never know when the next big one's going to come. It's always good to have some food really close to where we live, just in case we need it. Uh, jumping onto what's happening in the world at the moment, how do you think this can help in boosting your self-sufficiency? Yeah, it's massive. It's, um, that's a really, really good question. Um, lots of people are not leaving home right now. And most people need to leave home to go to buy food from the supermarket. But if you have a garden at home, then you hopefully won't need to, to leave home as many times as usual. Um, compared to if you don't have a garden. So having a private garden at home can actually make it easier to stay home and uh, stay safe too. So um, that's probably the key benefit um, because most people purchase food from shops and they have to go to the shop. They have to actually physically go to those shops in most cases. But if you have a garden, you can pick your tomatoes, you can pick cucumbers, you can pick lettuces, you can pick your herbs, whatever you like, and you just have to go outside to get them. Which and I guess that gives you a buffer as well. It does, yeah. Um, that's a really, really good point too, because um, uh, like about two to three years ago, there was uh, major flooding in um, central Japan, um, Hiroshima in particular. There was like massive landslides down there. And I noticed here in um, Tokyo, the price of, um, of lettuces and tomatoes and cucumbers increased by about 20 to 30% overnight. And that kind of thing was a problem if you actually pay money for vegetables. But I was growing those... I'm seeing vegetables in my community garden. And if I wanted them, I could just go to the garden and pick them. So the food that I grow personally in my community garden, it's completely 
independent of uh, price uh, shocks and price spikes. It doesn't matter what the uh, the price of like um, lettuces or tomatoes are doing elsewhere. If you have your own, that doesn't matter. It's all free. That's wonderful. That's true. So I guess some people are being curious, you know, as an individual, how can we get started with urban farming? And uh, if we only have, for example, a balcony, how can we do about it? That's a really good question, too. Um, the simple answer to that is just to start with one pot like this and to grow something in it. So this is a flower, but we could have a tomato like this little one here or a cucumber like this one here. You just get one pot and you put some soil in it and you go and buy a, a seedling or maybe some uh, seeds like these spinach seeds here and just grow something. It's important to, base, to basically under prove to yourself that you can grow something and it's very simple. So you just put some soil into a pot and you sprinkle some seeds on it on top of the soil and then just cover those um, seeds with just a few millimeters of soil and then water daily and see what comes up. And when's the best time to do that? Right now, it's spring. So um, pretty much anything is going to grow now in Japan and the Northern Hemisphere. And so, yeah, just grow. Just start small with one pot and see what you can grow. And then what I did when I first started gardening in 2012 was I just grew some spinach from um, seeds like this and they grew. This one plant and I was just like wow this is amazing stuff I couldn't believe it because I'd never done it before and then I just bought some more pots and grew some herbs and some um, some microgreens and some more spinach and I just made my garden bigger just by buying more pots and doing exactly what I had done with one pot multiple times and it all worked. And do you have any advice on how to choose uh, the seeds for them to be more uh, environmentally friendly I guess? Yes, uh, yeah. Um, basically, uh, when it comes to gardening, uh, natural is best. Unfortunately, most of the, um, the seeds that we can buy from shops are what's called um, hybrid seeds. And hybrid seeds have a use-by date, like milk does and bread. But the thing is that um, natural seeds don't have use-by dates. That's a huge difference. And natural seeds, um, also called heirloom seeds, um, they can basically be, um, um, be replanted. Um, they can be used again and again, whereas um, these hybrid seeds here, they've been injected with what's called a, a terminator gene. And the terminator genes make seeds sterile after approximately 12 to 15 months. That basically means that um, 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 when this use-by date comes around, um, these won't germinate, so they won't grow. They'll basically be dead, which... You can probably guess what that forces gardeners to do. You have to keep on buying seeds, which is like great for the seed companies, but not good for uh, for the people that grow the food. It's purely financial, purely business. So yeah, um, the best thing to do is just get organic seeds and buy and use as many as possible and just keep on using them year by year by year. That's what our grandparents' generation did. That's what every single generation before them did. It's only these last two generations since about the 1960s or so where and food production has been turned on its head, completely uh, changed. We're now using, uh, we're now spraying poisons on our food and using genetically modified seeds. We're going right off the scale um, and we're getting a lot sicker because of it, which is a major problem. So um, my personal policy when it comes to growing my own and teaching is just keep things as natural as possible, sunlight, water, and not much else. So where do you recommend getting these uh, heirloom seeds? Um, the best way to get the heirloom seeds is um, just order online. Here in Tokyo, I found two shops in the entire city that sell organic seeds, and one of them now doesn't sell them. So basically one shop in Tokyo that I've found that sells organic seeds. Um, when you hear the word 
organic, it pays just to think real. That's quite simple. So uh, purchasing uh, organic seeds online is the best way to do it. You can get them from um, pretty much any country. I can buy seeds from New Zealand, from Italy, France, from Belgium, from a lot of different countries. And the best thing to do is just to use as many as possible and then capture the seeds when they fall off the plants and use them in the next season. And this is one key way um, that nature regenerates itself um, in a cycle. We just basically keep on using the seeds. That's what my mother did. It's what my grandparents did. And it's what um, every generation before them did. You just basically use seeds again from the plants that you're growing. It's, it's really natural. And that's the great thing about growing your own food naturally. It's really simple. But we've made it really complicated in the last two generations by adding chemicals, um, by, yeah, we just made things much too complicated and it's causing massive problems. I was talking to, to someone today about this. The answer to growing food naturally and impacting our health in a really positive way is to do what our grandparents did, and that's grow food naturally. So that basically means that if we want to move forward and progress when it comes to improving our personal health and improving soil health and environmental health, we just got to take the practices from the past and do them again today. For balcony gardeners, like where is the best place to get some soil? Home stores are the best place to get them. All garden gear here in Japan is really cheap. You can buy a 25-liter bag of soil for about 550 yen. And that's about the price of a large Starbucks coffee. And you can buy a massive bag of soil. Or you can basically create your own by composting. And that's what more and more people seem to be doing these days. Basically, you just keep your kitchen scraps, your, um, your fruit peelings, your vegetable peelings, your coffee grinds, your tea bags, your newspaper, your leaves from outside, and make compost. But that's a cool way to do it. That's basically recycling too. And that's what nature does naturally. Um, just a couple of points about soil. The darker, the better. Um, dark brown is good. Black is great. Um, Ukraine and other parts of Russia are quite well known for what's called black soil. That's nutrient rich. It's really amazing soil. Um, yeah, but like I said, um, dark brown's the best and the darker, the better. That basically means that it's most likely got lots of nutrients in it. So you were mentioning earlier a website or the store in Tokyo to buy some seeds, uh, which are organic. Do you have the name of the store? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the shop, it's an um, organic restaurant called Crayon House in Amotisando. And um, they've got an organic restaurant and a shop and they sell organic seeds there. Um, they're a little bit more expensive than your regular seeds, but they're much uh, are safer and much healthier for you. Um, yeah, so that's the place that I go when I want to purchase them physically. Um, otherwise, online. Which website uh, do you use online to find them? Oh, I don't really purchase many online, um, but I can get back to you about that. Uh, no problem. Do you know if there's a way also to buy seeds from other farmers? Like, for example, if people wanted to uh, get some seeds from you or like from any other things, or is there a seed exchange in Tokyo, for example? Or you... Oh, um, I haven't heard of one here in Tokyo, but I have heard that Hacker Farm, which was the group that we were talking about before out in Chiba, um, they were talking about um, setting up a, a seed exchange last year. I don't know whether that actually took place, but that's a really that's a great way to basically uh, share seeds and get the ones you want. Do you have any idea, roughly, of what's the surface needed to feed one person or maybe a couple? Or okay, well, I, um, just to give you some idea, um, I rent a tiny plot in a local community garden. It's three meters wide and five meters long. That's slightly uh, wider than one standard car park, so it's tiny. It's really, really tiny. And um, from that size plot, I can grow more than one and a half thousand cherry tomatoes like this in uh, spring and summer from cucumber plants like this i normally uh, produce about three or four hundred cucumbers in spring and summer 
Um, I grow all the herbs that my family needs. I grow lettuces. I've got 64 lettuces growing right now in my community garden patch and, and four square metres. Yeah, so basically one plot that's slightly larger than one standard car park, I um, guesstimate could feed two families in summer. This is pretty um, pretty embarrassing, but my family doesn't consume about half of, of what I grow. It's just too much. So during the summertime here, uh, my friends get free food, my workmates get free food, the neighbours get free food. We just give away lettuces and tomatoes and cucumbers. Um, it's great. And giving away free healthy food is also, it's a really, really great way to actually make new friends and basically start um, communication with people that you may not know. And this is a point that's not really mentioned in many gardening books or training, but the community aspect of growing food is really, really good, especially when you grow some and give some, um, which I've been doing here with Second Harvest Japan, um, Tokyo's only food bank. I've basically been growing food and um, donating fresh vegetables to them and encouraging other um, urban farmers here in Tokyo to do exactly the same thing, to basically increase the amount of fresh Tokyo-grown food that um, Second Harvest Japan gives away to um, to people that need it, um, basically um, single mothers, homeless, you name it. Yeah, so the community aspect of growing food is not really widely spoken about, but it's really important and it brings people um, together and gardens do the same thing too. For example, if you don't have a balcony, you're interested in maybe creating a community garden in your area, do you have any recommendations? For people who don't have any space at all, also, if you're living on the dark side of an apartment building that doesn't get much sun, community gardens here in Tokyo, they basically, um, they can be rented for approximately uh, 10 months. And the ones that I, I've been using here in the town that I live in, in North Tokyo, people apply for them and then to the local city hall. And there's a lottery system and uh, names are pulled out of a hat in February and the winners are notified. And then you basically pay 5,500 yen to rent a car park-sized plot from the middle of March until um, January 31st the following year. So we're talking about 10 months for 5,500 yen. That's virtually free. It's, a, it's incredibly cheap. And uh, like considering that I grow probably about 25 to 30,000 yen worth of uh, food per, um, per year, it's really good value too. So, um, yeah, you basically look for your local city newspaper in January, in the first two weeks of January, and these local city newspapers can be picked up from train stations and libraries and other um, public buildings, and then you apply, and you'll hopefully win. Um, like I said, nine months rental for just over 5,000 yen. Um, they used to be free 40 years ago, but now we pay just that little bit of money. No big deal. Yep. Um, okay, and also um, one more way is if you have no space to grow food, then um, talk to people who may have space. For example, talk to your friends, talk to your workmates, talk to um, 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 talk to the people around you within your network and ask them, um, do you have a spare uh, spare space on your rooftop at home or at work? Do you have some space around your apartment block? And if so, could I use to grow food? Um, if they say yes, then say, hey, we can share the food. So the key point here is that you don't actually have to have your own garden to grow food. You don't have to own space where you can grow food. You just have to know someone who has space that will let you use to grow food, which opens up the local community. Yeah. So it's important to not just think about what space do I own or have access to. Just think about what space does my network own or have access to and then just get talking. That's, it's that simple.
Not everybody is uh, proficient in uh, Japanese to be able maybe to pick up these local newspapers. Is there maybe networks which are more foreigner friendly or is there other ways like you can go about that? Um, just find a Japanese friend to help you. Um, that's probably the simplest way to do that. Yeah, just talk to a Japanese neighbor, ask them. Um, yeah, it, um, just to help you to find out what part of the local of this local newspaper has got the application form to apply for community gardens. Um, there's quite a few good um, gardening networks here online where you can get help. One of the better ones, um, Japan Gardening on Facebook. That's a really good one. It's got people spread right throughout the whole country growing lots of stuff. What do you grow in winter? Do you have any recommendations? In winter? Okay, yeah. Spinach, radish, lettuces. You can grow kale, Swiss chard. Swiss chard's really difficult to kill. That's a really strong plant. Spinach and radish and lettuces. The growing season for this is basically starts in March and goes right through until November, December. We can grow these right through summer. You can grow pretty much most herbs or grow right through the year. We're talking mint, we're talking basil, we're talking shiso. We're talking a whole bunch of others. For winter, I think from memory, um, uh, I'd have to check this, but I think cabbage and broccoli, they're um, seasonal. And daikon, too, is also uh, seasonal from memory. I've never grown those, so I'm not quite sure. One more thing about um, seasonal fruit, these two, uh, tomatoes and cucumbers, these are quite definitely seasonal. These are only grown in spring and summer, which is basically right now. Um, they won't uh, grow in autumn or winter. But most other vegetables can be grown pretty much right through the whole year. Except here in Japan, uh, summertime, August, gets really hot. In fact, it gets too hot. And I stop my gardening then. It's just too hot to grow. It's just too hot to be outside. Here in Japan, we've got two growing seasons. The first one starts in March, goes through until uh, late June. March, April, May, that's uh, four months. And then after the summer, usually in the middle of September, when the temperature noticeably drops, that's the start of the um, autumn winter growing season. Which can grow, uh, sorry, which can go right through Christmas, right through New Year, and right through the snow into January. So that's another four, to, that's um, basically four months at the start of the year, then you get summer, and then four months after. That's a pretty that's a pretty good quality growing season. I will check with you if you have any resources like a calendar showing you know which vegetables in Japan like are in which season. I've made my own uh, Japan planting calendar. Uh, just ah. for people that don't know, uh, planting calendars basically show when to um, sow and transplant um, herbs and vegetables. And um, and back when I started gardening uh, nine years ago, I really wanted to find a Japan planting calendar that I could read. So I went online and I found planting calendars for Australia, for Canada, for the States, for New Zealand, nothing in English for Japan. So I basically made my own. And I've got it available. And I basically just read a whole lot of Japanese uh, seed packets and noted down their growing seasons and transferred them onto uh, four pages. So I've made my own um, English language Japan planting calendar. Nice. The longer that you basically grow food for, um, that kind of knowledge goes up here. It's called experience. Basically, for people who haven't grown food before, now is the time to start. It's spring. It's like Christmas for urban farmers. It's wonderful. And pretty much anything will grow now if you uh, sow seeds in the ground now nice. um, so it's basically game on right now so now's a great time to start and it's a great time for this podcast too <laughs> <laughs> how do you manage like the watering uh, of these plants like especially if you have to go on holiday or you know away for the weekend do you have any tips yeah there's a few different ways you can do that um but it depends on how long that you leave home for you can buy a two liter plastic bottle right you just have to punch a tiny hole into the cap and fill it with water and then you basically 
insert the bottle upside down into the soil next to your plant, and that will slowly drip water into your plants. That's one way to keep your plants alive uh, during um, like long weekends. If you actually leave town or leave the country during summertime, that's a whole different story. And it pays to have um, neighbours that you like and who would be willing to actually come to your place and water your plants or ask someone to come in to your place and water your garden for you or just give up. <laughs> um, yeah, it may just, it's, um, like I said, it's really hot here during summer. Um, I stopped growing food during the summer for that reason. But if you really want to carry on, just find someone who you like and trust and show them where your plants are and ask them to come around to um, just to water your garden and um, say that they can pick whatever food they like in return for helping you out. There's a number of different watering systems. For example, you can buy electronic watering systems using hoses that you sort of track around the roots of your plants and it's and they can be hooked up to timers so that they basically sort of water your plants once or twice a day, whatever works. And there's also lots of different um, nozzles and things that you can attach to plastic bottles and basically use to water your plants. There's quite a few different ways you can do that. And it pays just to go to home stores, check out the gardening departments and see what kind of products that they've got to water your plants when you can't. What are the most challenging things with urban farming in Tokyo? Or are there like some vegetables which are more difficult to grow than others? No, um, the most challenging thing is um, shade, especially for people who live on the so-called uh, dark side of apartment buildings where the sun's up here and their um, their rooms here. Um, that's probably the most challenging thing. Um, also, yeah, some people have issues with crows, basically eating their um, their plants, worms, caterpillars, things like that. If you live on the 20th floor, you probably won't have many problems with slugs and snails because they can't climb that high. But you may have problems with um, insects and caterpillars, which come via butterflies, which basically um, they can land on your plant leaves like this and lay eggs. And then um, the caterpillars come out from the eggs and you can go outside like I have some mornings and you can find entire planter boxes full of what was beautiful looking green leaves the night before, all gone, just all eaten by caterpillars. Um, one key to get around that is if you cover your plants with um, insect net and quite simply stop the butterflies from landing on your leaves that will kill that problem dead um, insect nets that's a key to, um, to keeping your plants going um, just one thing about insects though um, many people get hacked off when insects like caterpillars um, eat their plants personally I take it as a, a like bit of a compliment because Insects know what healthy food is. And if I find insects um, dining on my lettuces or my spinach, whatever, I know that they found healthy food, which means I'm growing it, which is, that's kind of like a compliment from the caterpillars. That's <laughs> pretty good. It's <laughs> not bad at all. There's a, you know, a couple of close-up questions I wanted to ask you. So what is the, your vision for the future of uh, urban food? Oh, um, the future is huge. Um, my, um, the key part of my vision is free, healthy food growing um, everywhere, on streets, on rooftops, at schools, on um, office blocks. I see basically um, free food everywhere. And right now, most people pay money for food because they don't grow it themselves. But if we all just use a little bit of space around our, our house or our office or our workplace or our school and utilize rooftops and balconies and um, spare land, for example, car parks that are no longer used, we can grow an amazing amount of fresh city urban food. 
and share it. Um, one thing that I would love to see is something that I've actually seen in France, your country, planter boxes down the footpaths in some towns full of not flowers, but food. Um, this part of my dream for the future of um, urban food, basically kids and anyone walking down streets being able to see food on walls in outside houses and lawns everywhere so that kids see tomatoes and cucumbers and all this food when they're just um, quite simply walking to and from school and they see where food um, comes from and don't actually have to learn about it in school but they will uh, be able to walk past food and see it every single day and the potential is all there. Growing food is amazingly simple. It's really, really simple. And I think the key is, um, this is a key part of my work here in Japan, is to motivate people to grow food. So I'm not just talking about um, sharing the skills and teaching people what to do to grow food, but also motivating them to go to a shop and buy a pot and buy some soil and buy some seeds, take them home and grow food. Because I could teach one million people how to grow food, but if I don't motivate them to grow food, then most of them probably won't. So what's the point? So I think it's really, really key to mot to basically motivate people to grow food. And when you tell them the list of benefits of um, growing food without chemicals in cities, it's all crystal clear. It's all good. How do you go about city pollution and also like soil pollution? How do you know the soil you're growing your vegetables on is healthy? Or how do yeah. you know? Um, you basically won't the first time. Um, it depends on what was um, being grown in the soil that, that you got last year and the year before. Um, but you can basically condition your soil um, and know what's um, what's inside your, your soil by self, um, yourself by either digging out the existing soil and replacing it, it, it with new soil that you know what's inside it, or use compost. Now, um, when it comes to compost, I was talking about this with someone I was training this morning. Uh, compost can be problematic because if the compost has been made from food and fruit that have been sprayed with chemicals, then when you make compost from those scraps, then your compost will contain chemicals too by default. So you can gradually make changes to that by buying and growing organic fruit that has not been sprayed with poisonous chemicals and then making compost from that and putting that onto your soil to, over time, condition your soil so that it's perfect and natural. Air pollution, there's not really much that you can do about that besides wash your leaves. And um, yeah, there's a really key um, there's a really key difference. For example, um, if I grew this outside my house, um, we have cars drive past and the leaves would get basically uh, the pollution from car exhaust on top of the leaves, which could be washed off. That's quite different from when food is sprayed with chemicals because then um, those chemicals that are sprayed, they go into the soil and the plant sucks up whatever's in the soil. And so the chemicals from sprays like this, they go inside the plant, and there's nothing we can do to get those out, um, as opposed to um, airborne pollution, which simply lands on the leaves and can be washed off. So, um, yeah, that's a good question, really. Um, I'd basically say um, just wash your leaves um, like before you eat them. There's not really much else we can do besides that, but um, don't let that stop you from growing food. Um, do you have any resources like books or anything else that you would recommend for people to get into urban farming or get started? Uh, yes, I've actually got my own book that I wrote. This is um, um, oh. How to Grow Your Own Healthy Food um, in the City. This is a 60-page um, urban farming guide that I wrote. Um, I've updated it. It's got lots of um, pictures about the right soil to buy how to grow in pots, how to make raised gardens and grow rooftop gardens and how to water and so on. 
Um, yeah, and this is basically it's nine years of experience in in one book. Also, um, online. Um, in terms of resources, um, there's a whole lot of stuff online, but if it's in English, it'll probably be for um, other countries. There's not much English language gardening resources available online here in Japan. It's mainly Japanese, of course. Um, and that's a bit of an issue, but not a major one, because the, the growing seasons here, as opposed to, for example, Hong Kong or Malaysia or China, are only going to be slightly different. But it will be quite different from countries further north or south, like Canada or Australia, where the, the latitude longitude is much more different. Just use Google. But like I said, uh, like before, about um, uh, like about motivation, there's a couple of people I would recommend. Stephen Ritz, who's in uh, New York, he runs his own um, Green Bronx Machine, which is a school-based urban farming program project. Stephen Ritz is insane. He's so enthusiastic about growing fruit. And also, um, many um, urban farmers may have heard of uh, Ron Finlay, who's he's in, I think he's in the Bronx. I'm not quite sure what part of the states he's from. And he's basically started his own movement of growing food anywhere. Yeah, so these two guys, um, if you Google them, they've both done uh, TED Talks. And if you want to get motivated about growing food, yeah, check out their TED Talks. They're fantastic, really good. And like I said before, motivation is key because you can have skills to do anything. But if you haven't got the motivation to actually play the piano, start a painting, start a garden, grow food, then the skills can be meaningless. So you've got to be motivated. What is the best thing uh, about being an urban farmer? Oh, where do I start? <laughs> where do I start? Yeah. Um, healthy food. That's actually tasty. Food where the natural flavor is there. Uh, for example, these tomatoes, they're from a shop. They've been commercially produced. They don't have much flavor. If you grow your own food, if you grow your own tomatoes without chemicals, the taste can blow your socks off. Absolutely fantastic. When you don't use chemicals, the taste, you could say, increases. But that's not really what happens. Um, using chemicals suppresses the natural flavor of your food. And I think that's why we have salad dressings, because the commercially produced food um, doesn't taste anywhere near as good as natural organic food. So we now have a whole range of salad dressings to improve the flavor that's been suppressed and by the chemicals. And that's just one point. Um, um, growing your own food for the mums and dads out there, it's kind of like having kids again. Because you're starting from seeds and you're growing food and it's wonderful. Most of my food tastes about 25% better because I grow it personally. I've seen um, the food grow from seeds to this and the amount of personal satisfaction that I get from doing that is amazing. Also, thinking beyond just myself, when I teach skills, I know that I'm teaching skills that people can use and are using and will use to grow healthy food for, for themselves and also hopefully pass down those skills to their kids. Growing food by itself is one of the most simplest things you could possibly do. Teaching it helps to spread the skills. And when those skills get passed down through the generations, you can have a massive impact. And that's one of the things that I'm really excited about my work, um, that what I do, it could well be passed down to my grandkids' generations and beyond. So taste the environmental benefits when you don't use chemicals and grow food locally, that's quite clear. Also, price. Uh, like I said at the start, this cost 200 yen for about 12 tomatoes. If I grow my own, that was cheaper than this carton of tomatoes. This will produce hopefully 150 tomatoes, maybe 180, which means one tomato from this plant is one yen. That's virtually free. <laughs> That's virtually free. Whereas when I buy these, I've paid 200 yen to buy poisoned tomatoes. What's the point? Why bother? 
what's the point in that? That's a pretty good reason just by itself. Just grow your own, you'll get much more, it'll be much cheaper and much healthier and taste better. Thank you for listening. You will find all the notes from the discussion on Motainai Transition website, motainai-transition.com. If you like the podcast, don't hesitate to leave a rating on your favorite podcast app. Matane! Matane!